my name is Nico Van Dijk and welcome to this BJSM podcast. We've got a real treat for you today. If you've struggled uh, with treating a swimmer's shoulder, well, we may be barking up the wrong tree. I'm joined by Andrew Dalbridge and Craig Botcher from Australia. Craig completed his PhD through Sydney University examining shoulder EMG back in 2010. He's been a physiotherapist for the Australian swim team for the last eight years. And he's also been on the other side of the coin, having been an elite swimmer himself and retiring due to ongoing shoulder issues. Craig is currently supervising Kylie Holt, who is completing her PhD on shoulder pain and pathology in elite swimmers. Kylie is a senior sports physio at the Australian Institute of Sport and has been looking after the swimming program since 2009. Kylie can't join us today, but we are joined by Andrew Delbridge, who's been working with Craig at Regent Street Physiotherapy for the last 17 years. Andrew has been working in elite sport, particularly throwing athletes, and focusing on assessment and management of tendinopathy. They are both sports-titled physiotherapists and have a combined clinical experience of over 50 years. So please enjoy this BJSM podcast on the swimmer's shoulder. The term uh, swimmer's shoulder has been around for a long time. So, Craig, what do you think most clinicians mean when or think of when they use this term? Nicol, undoubtedly, most clinicians think of swimmer's shoulder as uh, external or subacromial impingement, um, as it was described back in the 70s. Um, And the concept then was basically during the repeated revolutions of the shoulder during swimming that the subacromial structures would get irritated and ultimately start to cause pain. Now, the external impingement model has obviously evolved over time in the in the general population so that we now have primary and secondary external impingement. What do you mean by primary and secondary impingement? So um, primary impingement would be things such as a, a hooked acromion and, and that type of thing that's, that compromises the subacromial space. Secondary external impingement is where the um, that space is compromised due to other factors. And so in, in swimming, the sorts of things that are believed to potentially create that secondary impingement, uh, loss of internal or external rotation range, uh, imbalances in shoulder strength, scapular dyskinesis, and hypermobility or hyperflexibility of the glenohumeral joint. And so they're the things that we tend to look at in the clinic to see whether they may be uh, contributing to this external impingement um, whether it's one or a combination of those that then lead to this external impingement and, and swimmer's shoulder. But the thing worth noting is that regardless of which factor or factors are, are believed to be contributing to it, without doubt, the, the thought is that the structures that are involved in subacromial impingement are the subacromial bursa and the supraspinatus. Even if you look at articles that have been published even within the last three months or certainly in the last 12 months, you'll see that they're the, the structures that these papers keep coming back to as the source of pain in, in the swimmer's shoulder. So that's certainly the model we've used in the past and how we've looked at swimmer's shoulder for a long time. But the three of you um, think we've got this idea of swimmer's shoulder wrong. So why is that, Andrew? Look, uh, Nicole, we've, we've arrived at um, our ideas on swimmer's shoulder through a, through a number of observations. And, and the, first, the first one is the literature's uh, on the literature around the factors that Craig was discussing in the literature, the current literature around uh, swimmer's shoulder is far from unanimous. There is uh, no shortage of, of papers that have examined all of the factors Craig just mentioned earlier and, and there's conflicting literature for and against those factors 
being relevant to swimmer's shoulders. So the literature itself, there's no consensus. Secondly, if you look, take a closer look at the anatomy um, and the pathology that we see in swimmer's shoulder, uh, we're seeing quite a diverse range of pathologies. And although undoubtedly supraspinatus is, is, is imp impacted in swimmer's shoulder, um, there are a lot of other structures that are also impacted, subscapularis, long head biceps, the labrum, uh, there's slap lesions. Uh, all of those other, other lesions are relatively undiscussed, if you like, relative to the supraspinatus. So we, we find it difficult to reconcile an external uh, impingement model um, to uh, explain those findings. Um, and lastly, from a clinical perspective, swimmers in recent years, particularly swimmers Craig's been working with, the Australian Olympic team, there's a number of those swimmers that have uh, gone on to retirement due to subscapularis failure, so, uh, as opposed to supraspinatus. So we, those three issues uh, together, we, we, uh, we were faced with questions we couldn't answer based on the external impingement model. So, so what is it then? If it's not an external impingement model, what is it then? Well, we think that principally the driver is, is an internal impingement model. So we're, we're going to introduce the term, uh, well, not, not specifically introduce it, but ACE, uh, anterior superior internal impingement. Uh, I think the literature and most of your listeners are probably familiar with posterior superior impingement um, that, that, that would occurs in perhaps the throwing population. We think that, that in the swimming population, ACE or anterior superior internal impingement is a key driver for pathology. And we think this mechanism can impact all of the structures that I, I mentioned previously, subscap, supraspin, uh, labrum and so forth. So Craig, when did you first start questioning the current model we have for swimmer's shoulder? I guess my, my main reason for questioning it, and that has been for some time, is that I haven't been essentially happy with the results that we've been getting with our swimmers. Um, particularly in the Australian swim team, where you have athletes uh, being treated by uh, clinicians, physiotherapists, sports physicians, orthopaedic surgeons, you know, some that I would consider the best in the world, and yet not getting these guys right, you know, they, some retiring as a result of their injuries. And my simple perspective was, if we know everything and if this model is correct, well, we should be getting these guys better and having much better results. So my push was that we should try and research this more. We don't know it well enough, let's do some research. And I have to acknowledge Swimming Australia because they have allowed us to access the Australian swim team to do this, this study. And it started off with just doing handheld dynamometry, looking at internal and external uh, rotation force production during this handheld dynamometry. And what we initially found was uh, rather than the classic sign of a relative increase of internal rotation relative to external, which is what all the literature points to, we're actually seeing that a lot of the swimmers were having a relative loss of internal rotation. And interestingly enough, as part of my PhD, we looked at isolated rotation of the shoulder, including internal rotation, and determined that the subscapularis is, can be a major torque producer during internal during internal rotation of the shoulder. And from that, my, my theory was that these guys are doing repeated internal rotation over and over and over again, and that it is just high volume tensile loading of the subscapularis that was leading to these the subscap gradually breaking down. Um, and that might explain that subgroup of swimmer shoulder that we were seeing on this dynamometry testing. So I shared this my thoughts with Andrew and 
he went away and uh, started doing some reading um, and came back to me and said, have a look at these and tell me what you think. And I, you know, I said, mate, this is gold. This is, abs I reckon this is right on the money and I think it has real merit. And so we've, you know, bounced, had a look at a few more things, bounced it off one another uh, for some months now. And, um, and I think, well, that's where we're at now. And I think it has, as I said, real merit. So Andrew, um, you come from a baseball background and this must have influenced the way you thought about this uh, when you guys deci uh, decided to look at a new model to explain what you were seeing in the clinic. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. Um, coming, back, coming from the throwing background uh, and working with throwers, you know, I followed the work of, of uh, authors in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, Burkhardt's group that looked at internal impingement with throwers. Um, and, and these guys looked at arthroscopic findings in throwers. They looked at the behaviour of the shoulder while the thrower's shoulder was in, in uh, abduction external rotation, so the position unique to throwing. Um, and, and, they, uh, and they developed a model that from that that led to a fairly significant shift in the understanding of thrower's shoulder. So I kind of came from that thinking and, and thought, well, I'll apply this to the swimmer's shoulder. And I came up with... Um, sort of three questions that I thought that we needed to address to, to get an understanding, and that was what's the unique position for swimmers, or sw uh, that swimmers use in, in their stroke? Um, what's the anatomical relationships in that position? And can we sort of reconcile uh, pathology we're seeing to that, those relationships? Andrew, what is the unique position that's needed for swimming then? So for swimmers at the elite level to swim fast, they have to generate large amounts of propulsion, and to do so, they have to present as much of their hand and arm perpendicular to the water for as long as possible. So in order to do this, they have to be able to achieve high degrees of forward elevation and internal rotation. Now, uh, this is the position that, that I initially caught my attention and, and it further did so because upon looking closer at the literature, it was also a position that swimmers commonly um, note onset of their pain in the swimming stroke. And in fact, the work that we're doing right now um, we're seeing that commonly reported by these athletes. So this is the position that I thought made sense to take a closer look at. When we looked at, when I looked further into the anatomical relationships while the, sh the shoulder was in these positions, although there's no papers specifically with swimmers, there are papers looking at the shoulder being examined in Nears and Hawkins position, Hawkins-Kennedy position, and this position has been, these two positions have been identified as positions very similar to, the, to this position um, that swimmers achieve during, during early catch and uh, early pull of their stroke. Uh, and that what these papers found was that there was consistent uh, contact, internal contact between supraspinatus, subscapularis and the anterior superior glenoid labrum. And, and it, that would include also the long head biceps uh, as it, at its interval between between uh, subscap and supraspinatus, so uh, um, I thought this was straight away. This caught my eye, and I thought this was significant. And having been aware of posterior superior impingement, uh, which which I think most people are familiar with, uh, I, I started looking closer at um, AC or anterior superior internal impingement. So, do you think it's do you think it's more about the position than the load? that the swimmers put through their shoulder? I think, I think by virtue of the position, they're effectively loading their shoulder, in compre they're compressing their cuff and their, and their labrum repeatedly, thousands and thousands of times over. And I think that, um, 
I'm, I'm tending towards the idea that we're looking at a mixed loading scenario of tensile loads, as Craig mentioned earlier, and compressive loads. And the literature would certainly suggest that mixed loading uh, tenons do not do well under mixed loading conditions. So can you um, expand a little bit on um, the anterior superior internal impingement? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the term was first described by um, a pair of authors, Gerber and Sebastian, in 2000. Um, and they described uh, AC as an impingement between subscapularis and the anterior superior glenoid labrum. In their cohort, it was a cohort of overhead workers that were working in flexion and internal rotation. And I thought that was, that was particularly relevant because the, you know, we consider swimmers, we consider elite swimmers as serious overhead workers. They're working in repeatedly in, in high elevation internal rotation. So I, uh, I looked at that and thought, surely these guys must be achieving these positions that, that these overhead workers are doing and that our swimmers are doing it millions of times a year. So, so um, I think, again, come back to the fact that I think that's AC is a significant driver of change in swimmer shoulder. So this is uh, developed from what you guys have seen in the clinic. Um, do you have data to back that up, um, to, to um, some evidence for these clinical observations now? From a, from a pathoanatomical point of view, there's, there's certainly a significant amount of data out there already in the literature. Um, the issue with it has been that because the external impingement model doesn't explain these other these other structures such as subscapularis, long head of biceps and what have you, they've been reported but not expanded on or discussed at all. It's been almost like they've been an incidental finding in these studies. And so uh, it's certainly there, they, they report them but they don't expand on it. The other thing with the, the vast majority of swimming studies is that they are for the most part small numbers. They tend to be from a varied uh, group in terms of age and also uh, level. So in terms of uh, the pathoanatomical patho situation, there is evidence out there, but, you know, but we could have more. From the AC point of view, certainly, you know, the, the papers that Andrew's been describing give good support for the anatomical relationship during the positions that are very much like the swimming position, but again, they're not on a swimming group. So with that in mind, we, we're currently deep into an MRI study where we've taken uh, the top 60 swimmers in Australia, and we've MR'd ride both their shoulders. This is going to make up Kylie Holt's PhD. Um, and we are going to, through doing that, give uh, get a lot more data in terms of the path path pathologies that we see, and also a small pilot, if you like, or a small subgroup of that are going to get in. We've, we've MRI'd them in the catch position, and we're going to look at that anatomical relationship so that we can really you know, get a hard and fast picture of exactly what's happening with these guys. Do you think it, it really only applies to this elite uh, swimmers, like this elite group of swimmers, or do you think we can um, get some of it, or does this also apply to the more uh, everyday kind of swimmer like me? Look, I, th I think ultimately it may, uh, I th think ultimately it will apply to all levels of swimming, but certainly, um, you know, elite swimmers get into that high elevated internal rotated position um, and, and really push hard for that. I do think ultimately it may be that we start directing people in the technique that they use that is going to be specific to their levels of flexibility.
That's my personal feeling. So I think that we may be saying to a swimmer or to an, uh, an athlete, or you know, depending on their level, you have beautiful elevation and internal rotation range. You can get in there as, as quickly as you like. But we may be looking at somebody else who doesn't have that. Maybe that's you, Nicole, I'm not sure. But um, and saying, look, you need to modify your, your, your stroke. You can't be trying to achieve that, those sorts of positions because if you do, you're just going to bash your cuff up and you're going to get really painful really quick. So, Andrew, what are the key differences in this approach that might help us understand uh, swimmer's shoulder better? So I think the first thing uh, is that we take the view that it's an internal impingement model rather than an external impingement model. And I think we need to, to start um, looking at shifting away from... The, I think for 40 years of research, we don't have uh, a literature that, support, that, that has a consensus supporting this, that we start looking elsewhere. So I think internal impingement model is, is the first thing that, that we think is different. Uh, we, we think largely that this is a condition of tendinopathy. Um, and we think it's a condition of tendinopathy that can affect the anterior... Uh, and posterior cuff, so subscap anteriorly, long head biceps and supraspinatus. Um, and in keeping with that model of tendinopathy, we're viewing this AC as a compressive load, the compressive component of a mixed loading scenario in the shoulder. Although the absolute loads are not high, we're looking at mixed loading, which we believe is more devastating to the cuff than, than just straight out high tensile load. Um, this is a whole, a whole cuff model, not a supraspinatus centric model. So we think it accounts for a more broader expressions of swimmer's shoulder. And the advantage of that is that we think we can, you know, potentially subclassify these and, and tailor our treatment more appropriately um, rather than, than having the view that it's supraspinatus or bursa. Nickel, can I just add there that I think the real um, benefit of this or difference of this is that we are going to be able to, I would expect, be able to subclassify the, the uh, shoulder pain in swimmers. That at the moment every pathology comes under swimmer's shoulder and that I think with time we'll be able to d differentiate what part of, of the, um, the shoulder is being affected and that may well have the potential to improve our management by directing it specifically at particular areas of, of the shoulder as Andrew has mentioned. That's right, and we certainly have seen that in other areas where we've been able to um, differentiate treatment based on our understanding of the complexity of a certain structure, uh, like we've done in muscle injury. Um, so it's it's really great that you've come up with this model from the clinic, and that's that's driven the um, uh, research project that Kylie's doing, and also a new way of looking at this. So as a physio. And as a clinician who sees uh, swimmers um, regularly, how do I help my athletes to maybe prevent the injury? And then secondly, how do we manage this condition? So the focus obviously at this stage, Nicola, is that we move, shift the concept, that we move, that's our primary goal. But things that physios can do straight away uh, is to consider this as a tendinopathy. So applying the things that we already know quite well about how to manage tendinopathies. And with that in mind, using dynamometry, so handheld dynamometry as we've done, is a really, really good tool, not necessarily for determining balance as it has been, you know, strength balance around the shoulder, but for getting an accurate index of cuff health. So you can use the dynamometry to say, look, this, this swimmer is as weak as a kitten. We need to get some capacity into this cuff so that it can tolerate 
the mixed loads that are required on the shoulder for swimming. And you can go to the coach and say, look, the numbers are low or the numbers are reducing. Can we back the load off at this stage? And that will lead to some prevention. But then if you see that, you, you can start to implement a graded loading program. And the dynamometry will allow you to determine what uh, rotation is being affected, you know, what part of the cuff is being affected, so it can help you better direct your, your loading management program. And then you can monitor it with time and check that, that you're loading them appropriately and that they're getting stronger and you can um, then get a clear idea of when to progress their exercises. So that's a, an approach that we have used ourselves with good effect and that would be the one thing that I would say to physios right now, you know, use that as, as a directing uh, way of treating your, your swimmers at this stage. Thank you, uh, Andrew and Craig, for joining us today on this BGSM podcast and uh, sharing your insights in this new way of looking at uh, swimmer's shoulder. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having us, Nicole. Cheers. Thank you for joining us today on this BJSM podcast. You can find us on Twitter at BJSM underscore BMJ or Facebook or Google Hangouts and look for the BJSM app on Android and iOS. Have a physically active day.